0: Without reluctance, O flesh and blood.
1: Know what it's like to be lost. And don't know what it's like to be found. But you do. I do. Heavenly Father, as we stand in your August presence this morning. So grateful, Lord, that you would come and meet us in this little sanctuary that's been dedicated to your service, where your word can go forth be proclaimed lives can be changed natures can be completely completely changed in your presence lord it's wonderful that we could receive a natural healing but lord how miraculous to be changed from a pig into a lamb from a cocklebur into a wheat. god you took us out of the clutches of very the very clutches of sin We were destined on a road to hell. But Lord, you came down from glory. You made a way, Lord. You didn't just bridge the gap, Lord, but you completely closed it. You came and embraced us, Lord, in your arms and said, Follow me, I'll lead you out out of darkness into eternal light. Lord, we want to say thank you this morning from the very depths of our hearts. Our young people are in a meeting this morning. Lord, they're not stuck behind a trap of Satan. They're not clothed in his darkness. But Lord, they're worshiping you in spirit and in truth. They've gathered with saints of like precious faith. I understand over 50 congregations are represented in that meeting this morning. Brother Timothy ministering. Would you make yourself so real to them, Lord, that... Would be like on the road to Emmaus. You just opened their eyes. It's not anything new, Lord. It was things that you'd done before. But Lord, it quickened them. Lord, you're an ever present help in a time of trouble. Lord, maybe there's a troubled one here this morning, and they're just asking that El Shaddai would come by their way. Lord, they're reaching out even as that little woman with the blood issue. Didn't have a lot of strength left. She'd spent all she had to try. God, just to try to cope with her situation of life. But with her last ounce of energy, she pressed through the crowd. And every little bit of faith that she had, she reached forward and touched. The hem of your garment. God, I don't know how to express this morning. I know that the hem of your garment is so within reach of where we are right now. Not one sick person would remain sick. Not one lost person would remain lost. No person with a chain of bondage would remain chained if they would just press through the throng this morning. We don't want a formality of church. We want your presence. We'll do anything for it, Lord. Many have given up so much. Many have turned away from so much. What seems like much to man, so little. Lord, you're so great. We remember the needs in our own congregation, those that are Struggling with cancer, Brother Ron Spencer, Sister Erica Parker, many, many, many others throughout the land. We say it time and time again: the angel told our prophet, not even Cancer would stand before your prayers. His voice is on recorded tape. Our voice is living, and not even cancer will stand before our prayers. We believe that we're the body of Jesus Christ represented here on earth. Our little licks of fire together. We come to give you honor and praise this morning. Worship you in spirit and in truth. Anoint Brother Tim this morning. Lord, even as that presence that I feel up here, I just pray that each one would have that experience of your personal presence. Minister to them, Lord. We give you our hearts. We give you our all this morning. Bless the tithes and the offerings that will be given. May it go to the intended purpose. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. God bless you this morning. If the brothers have received the offering, that'd be wonderful. Amen. You love the Lord this morning. I apologize, but I don't apologize. I'm a mess. But that's all right. All right. He comes down from his glory. Well, he fills the temple. Yes. Well, they couldn't speak, they couldn't minister. They were just they were just there. Amen, I could sing that song, stay, but we'd probably sing that too long. amen, I love you this morning. I bless you, each one of you. Amen. Sister Laura, why don't you come and um, Sister Trisha? And I think Sarah Beth are going to come and sing a special for us. Why don't you come and get ready to sing? Musicians are going to change up a little bit, so we'll let them do that. Once you have your seats this morning, we'll just carry right on into the service. After they sing, maybe we'll sing one more song and then ask Brother Tim to, to come when he's ready. Amen. The presence of the Lord means everything to us, doesn't it?
2: Sometimes it takes mountains, deserts, trials, problems, sometimes just to make us realize we need a savior. Amen. Sometimes we can be so stubborn as human beings, so self-reliant. God just lets moments like that just break us to where we cry out, Jesus, I need you. Not as strong as I thought I was. Not as able as I thought. I want to lean on you. Amen. May today he speak to your heart. Reveal himself to you through the word. Let's go to prayer right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercies. Lord, we thank you for your people that is gathered together today on on this morning to pay tribute to you. To give you worship and praise that is due you. Lord, we thank you for those that, oh God, have been away now at camp. And how you have dealt with them and spoke to them. We're praying for traveling mercies for them back home. All our young people and those that were with them, our ministry team. May you just, now just as the meeting's closing there, that you just speak to hearts. And, Lord, that you just open up our heart, though, this morning as our meeting opens here. And your Holy Spirit, just take preeminence. Speak to the Word, Lord. Break every spirit of unbelief, every spirit of doubt, and let faith prevail. Let us give the Word of God preeminence. Let it be the main thing in our hearts. Anoint us today. Anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit has said to the church Oh, God, may that your Holy Spirit move now. We commit ourselves to you. I'm just a human. I can only do so much, Lord. So I'm definitely relying upon you. You've allowed things in my life, Lord, circumstances in my life where that caused me just to lean on you. That I couldn't lean on my own self. Lord, you, you've designed us for a purpose. And even set the trials in our lives for a purpose. So we realize that all things then will work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose. Because we were foreknown of you, and before the world began, you marked out copies of yourself, Lord, sons that would be brought into your image. I pray, Lord, today that we'll be a little closer, step one step closer, speak to hearts and lives now, and minister to the hearts of your children today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You'll be turning over to Romans chapter 9 and verse 27. Thank you, brothers. We appreciate you this morning and the worship to the Lord and... And uh, all the good singing, the songs, the worship to the Lord, I, I know he's pleased. Amen. And, you know, I, I believe it's pleasing to the Lord for certain. Uh, when, the, when the bride of Christ begins to express back love to him, you know it got to move his heart. Amen. And I pray your heart has been moved toward him this morning. Um, I, uh, I, you know, just bring good reports from the Ohio camp where they've had Brother Timothy preach. And my goodness, the first service was like a climax meeting. And uh, it was just a tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God. And then Brother Ron Spencer spoke the next night. And it just, again, was just another great crescendo. And last night, a prayer line, Brother Andrew Spencer spoke. And Brother Timothy was winding it up this morning. So, you know, they've had a great time. The Lord has moved and, and uh, answered many prayers. I know he uh, personally answered some of my prayers that I had, uh, special prayers for some of the young people that are here that God has dealt with. And they're always on our hearts, every one of them. They're important to me. They're important to God. Amen. I'm sure important to you. And you've been praying for them. And if not, well, I, I pray that you, you begin because it's really important to Hold him up before the Lord. And now, when this meeting is over, I'm catching a plane and headed out uh, out of Monroe. And next weekend, I'll be preaching in um, uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, um, there, and um, speaking for Brother Joseph Hammett uh, and dedicating his uh, facility there. So be in prayer for me, Brother, Brother um Aaron will be back here to preach Wednesday night, Brother Timothy on Sunday, so you're you're going to be well blessed. Amen. I know the Lord will speak and reveal himself to you in a mighty way. Romans 9, 27, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of the Sabaoth hath left us a seed, we have been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. God bless you. Um, As you're seated, we're going to speak today on the Lord of the Sabaoth as uh, we... Look into the scripture today. Of course, we believe we're living in the end time, don't we? And uh, we know that we are here in the last church age, and we have come in this age to the same condition that Israel was when the Messiah uh, walked the shores of Galilee. And um, it was in their last age that Jesus came, and we believe that it's the same in this last age that, of, the, of the Gentiles that Jesus again will come. And of course, um, you could say that Israel's last age was much like our age. It was um, Laodicea too. It was um, a time where Israel was blind because darkness had come upon them as the Jewish dispensation was closing out. And in this darkness, they actually would reject and crucify their Messiah. That's how dark it would become. And the same is true of blind Laodicea. The light becomes so dim. And in this darkness, the Messiah, the anointed word is crucified. Now, they can't get a hold of his physical form and he'll never be again uh, crucified again. He was crucified once And for all, his blood shed once and for all. But since they can't get him in that form, they attack the form of the word of God and discredit that. Now, the number of the Israelites were perhaps in the millions. But Paul echoes Isaiah saying, Out of Israel, a remnant shall be saved. Now, he he says there, he said, Now, all Israel is not Israel. And um, you know that, uh, so therefore, there's only a remnant out of them that is truly Israel that will be saved. Now, and among the Gentiles, the Christian population today runs now into the billions. And though Christians now are like Israel, numbering as the sand of the sea, it's only a remnant that's gonna be saved. You see, there's somebody going to believe, though. You see, because God has always had a people that has overcome the unbelief of their age, whether it be Enoch in that awful time of darkness where the sons of God were walking or were taking the daughters of men, seeing they were fair, and and Enoch in that day overcame and he took a rapture. Um, There, again, in a day where faith was at an all-time low, here Enoch had such a great faith and a testimony that he pleased God. So right in the midst of darkness and the unbelief, God had an overcomer. And even though he was just maybe one in that day, he had that one. And of course, in the days of Noah, it would be the same, that God would uh, find a man that, that uh, that would and this man would find great grace or favor in the sight of the Lord, and a message of deliverance would be given to him, and he would he would again um, herald the truth for his day and his time, and proclaim to the people of that age things that was totally contrary to the present day thinking, and that things that look impossible. For it to happen. In fact, the matter is, what was happening there looks more impossible than what even today of the earth burning. We know we have the capabilities upon the earth now to burn it and destroy it several times over. But anyway, you know, Brother Branham tells us in Proving His Word, he said, Notice it is by His believers He proves His Word by. He can only prove his word not by unbelievers it's only by believers that he can prove his word no matter how much the rest of them claim to be oh i believe brother see if you do god will prove it so because we look and see the others how can we say then see it is by true believers that he proves his word not by those who say they believe But those who really believe, it is by his his believing children that he proves his word. So like Joshua and Caleb, out of the millions who left Egypt, there were two that believed. Out of the millions, a remnant. You see, the rest would die in the wilderness, although they saw God's mighty hand in Egypt and saw the miraculous done. Yet in, in the first Corinthians 10 and 11, he says these things happened uh, to them for examples. They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the, these things would happen for our Admonition upon the ones to whom the ends of the world have come. And we're here, the people upon whom the ends of the world has come. And these are left for an admonition. And so he says in verse 2 of chapter 10 there, he said, And all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all did drink that same spiritual meat. And all did drink that same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, and yet, here, as they, as they have these wonderful experiences with God and God that display in the supernatural. Yet they come to the edge of their promised land. They come to Kadesh, and because they believed the, the evil report and the circumstances of what they saw, they turned back into 40 years of circling in the wilderness. Think about Kadesh Barnea is the place where Moses and the children of Israel camped. As they sent men to the Promised Land, the spies to come bring, it, come tell us what the land is like and the lay of the land. He sent them out there, twelve of them, one from every tribe, to to go out into there. And these would be men that were were chosen men, they, you know, great men in their tribes. But they, but again, you know, only of them. You know, there was only two of them that actually saw things the way God saw it. The rest of them would listen to the demon powers of unbelief that would, would, would actually change the vision from God's word. To the and, the and the hearing of God's word to something that was a lie of the devil where they would actually come back and repeat what the enemy was actually thinking of them. You you just look like grasshoppers in our sight. You see, again, it was, it was a land there. Kadesh Barnea was on the border of the promised land and it was intended that the children of Israel would go on from there and inherit the entire land. Do you realize Kadesh Barnea was within 30 miles of the promised land? 30 miles. They'd come all the way journeying from, from Egypt, get to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, same thing. And they would get there and, and here now, they would come from there and camp And now they're only 30 miles right here on the border, right here on the edge of the fullness of the promise, which is the type of the Holy Ghost for us and all that belongs to us as believers. And at Kadesh Barnea there, as they they had arrived coming from Mount Sinai, and the Bible says it was 11 days journey from Mount Sinai. To Kadesh and, the, and now the promised land was just in sight and because of fear, because of unbelief, they will turn and they will go into the 40 years of wandering in the desert. Now by staying the course with God's plans and ways they, have, where they would have got to where they were supposed to be just in 11, 12 days. When they left the Mount Sinai, just 11, 12 days away Amen. from the promise, right on the edge. And the, but instead of being just 11 or 12 days, it turned into 40 years of an arduous sojourning in desert lands. The spies had searched the land for 40 days, and now their unbelief would cause them to wander for 40 years. God said, for every day, every day of disbelieving, where you went around and you looked 40 days in the promised land, and 40 days you kept gathering unbelief until you brought back an evil report. And every day, I'm going to count it a year. And for 40 years, you will languish in this wilderness until you're everyone dead. Now, I want you to think of it. A day of unbelief will give you a year of unfruitfulness. Hello. Brother Branham tells you every time you disbelieve, it'll delay your promise that much further. And here, in this case, a day of unbelief gave them another year, a whole year of unfruitfulness, a whole year of unfulfilled promises. If you were 10 years old when they went from Kadesh, now you will wait until you're 50. Now, instead of entering in as a 10-year-old and having the opportunity of, of claiming an inheritance, you will have 40 years of wasting. You could have had farmlands and raised 40 years of crops. Your orchard groves that you would have planted the day you entered in would now be 40 years old. You know, had been barren over and over again. You'd have 40 years of, of wonderful crops and great harvests and times of building up homes and and, and and inhabiting the land. But now those 20 years, 20 years old and upwards will die in the wilderness because of unbelief. Amen. Now, after 40 years, you know, God had now a crop of believers. I, I, I want to believe God has a crop of believers today. Yes. Amen. I believe that he does. I have believed that, that even though we've had an old crop die off, and I'm not even saying they were all unbelievers. I'm just saying, I believe there's a crop today that are believers Amen, that that will not stand there with the unbelievers who say, we can't take it. But he let every one of them perish, every one of them but the believers. So who was left? Moses was taking the glory. The unbelievers perished in the wilderness. and, and, And this was now their children, the ones that they said, our children, you know, will perish. He said, I'll use your children your children and I'll raise them up and they will inherit this land. Now, you see, then there was only two that crossed over and that was Joshua and Caleb. Now, think of that. Uh, two million strong leaving Egypt plus probably other, others, women and children and whatever. And two, but anyway, here Joshua and Caleb, here they are the remnant. They were the believers. They were the ones who crossed over. Because that's the only way God can do it is by believing children. Amen. And I want you to know that God has predestinated that there be believing children in this day, a remnant who will cross over. Now, improving his word again, he said, he, he said in the order to have believers meet that word, he said he's got to predestinate it to that age. You see, he's got to predestinate this thing to be there to meet the challenge of the age. Did you get it? Did you feel it? Do you see it? Do you understand it? That's what's happening today. He's predestinated to this by his foreknowledge. When he predestinated in Malachi 4, it's got to happen. When he come over and predestinates anything to happen in his word, he had to prove his word to be so when he predestinates anything to happen and says it will happen, he knows that seed will be there just at that time. He predestinated a bride. She's going to be there. There's going to be a rapture. She's going to be there. He predestinates it by his foreknowledge. So here, Joshua and Caleb, they're looking at one thing, the 10 are looking at something else. Amen. Here's here's two that are, are seeing what the word said. Agreeing with what the Word said, confessing what the Word said, they are but bread to us. And the others are confessing what they are, they are seeing through the eyes of the demon of, of hell that is sitting on their shoulder, polluting the Word of God, going into their ears and eyes. Twisting what was said. Twisting what they saw to become something negative. You see, God's word will turn every negative thing into something positive. Hello. The real vision of God will turn your negativism into something positive. You want to stay negative in your life, you'll go to hell being negative. The only way that you can do it is have God to baptize you with a new feeling of the Holy Ghost and change you from that old negative, ugly attitude. That's always resisting the truth and resisting the move of the spirit and resisting the Holy Ghost. Now, Brother Brandon said, I believe as hard as I preach and other ministers who seize the vision, I believe there's some way we can break down the middle wall of petition and make the, make churches of God one together as a brotherhood. I don't know how it will be done, but God said he would have a church without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle. He's going to have it. God's going to have it. Amen. He is the, he's a determined God. Now, He said, isn't it strange that God will send a truth to people and in spite of all the preaching, till you get hoarse and die, people will plunge right on the road after some kind of fantastic fanaticism instead of staying with the word of God. Now, what they were seeing was just fantastic fanaticism because God's word has said, I give you this land. There's no mountain too high There's no giant too big. There's no problem too large. There is no situation too bad that you can't be an overcomer. Amen. Now, so you you see, Brother Branham said of that, said they were ordained of old to this condemnation. They went out from us because it wasn't of us. He said, after my departing, grievous wolves, men of your own groups will raise up uh, perverse things. And if an angel come from from heaven would preach any other thing than what I've taught, let him be accursed. So furthermore, in this land, there are also giants because as we look at, at the promise of the Holy Ghost and his fullness and the Messiah that is promised in that land of the coming of the Lord Jesus, the change of our bodies, there's every kind of opposition there. Now, Joshua and Caleb didn't say, I didn't see opposition. He said, they're bread for us. We'll eat them up. They're nothing for us. We're more than able to take it. But the others saw it as something that was an impossibility. I want you to know, you've got to look. You've got to look at your, the the promise that is laying before you and the need that you have in your life as a possibility instead of an impossibility. You'll never get anything from God doubting and and disbelieving and and being double-minded in your ways. One day this way, one day the next. Furthermore, there were giants in the land. And this is what the 10 of the spies saw. And to to, to Joshua and Caleb, it wasn't even worth talking about. It wasn't even a notable mention. They they, they didn't, yeah, they saw the same giants, but it wasn't worth noting. It wasn't worth reporting. It wasn't in their report whatsoever whatsoever. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's just what God said. And yes, there are inhabitants there, but they're bred for us. And we're more than able to take it. And the others looked at it and said, no, we can't. Now, Brother Branham says this and putting on the whole armor of God. He said, in Noah's time, they had those great giants. And he's referring to the Nephilim that are spoke of, mighty men of renown. And he said, today they got those great intellectual giants in the land, too. And he says, he said, I hate to say this, but there's one here. If there's one here, I hope it don't hurt you. But it's Satan spies again. What is it? sure intellectual giants come around to prove that all the shouting and saying amen and going to the altar and breaking up because of your your sins, that that's all just emotion. See, that's the scientific giant. That's the intellectual giant that there's no such a thing, walk up dry and just say, I'll join this church, oh my. Well, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. Satan does too, no sign he's saved. And it takes more than that. It takes a new birth. That's right. So, see, the word, it takes a a new birth. not just saying that. It it takes something that happens in here and makes you different. Now, but I I want you to know God has a decree that he says he will finish the work. And he will cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. So, this I know. God says, I'm going to finish the work. He's got too much invested in it. Amen. He's got his own blood invested in this work. He said, I will build my church upon this rock of a personal revelation of who I am and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, So here the Bible assures us in this scripture, he will finish the work and and to do it because of short work, he will make upon the earth. Now God has stopped wars in our day that would have destroyed the earth. At the 11th hour, on the 11th day, on the 11th month in 1918, the First World War ends mysteriously. And the Bible tells you in Revelation 7, uh, 1, why that it happens. And he said, after, this I, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea or on any tree. And, and listen, God, you see this, these angels holding back. The winds or the armies and the battles of the earth that there will not be any there blowing up on the earth that would bring destruction. Watch until, verse 2, and I saw another angel ascending out of the east having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea and said, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. So God said, you can't destroy the earth amen I, I'm not going to let it in, you know like that no I've got to get my elect first hallelujah my elect first do you realize right at the time Israel is becoming a nation God sends an angel to a prophet to begin to call the Gentile people out of denominations as he calls Israel out of the nations do you realize in that same time frame God is doing things holding back I won't let him destroy it I'll stop even the atomic bombs and and the destructions of the world until I seal every one of my children in their forehead. I'm not going to leave a one behind. Hallelujah. I'm sending a message to turn your hearts back to faith again. So God held the destruction of the earth, sending a prophet with miracles and signs. Followed by a message determined to get that remnant, that elect. To get a Gentile bride sealed in before destruction falls. And he will seal in 144,000 of natural Israel, as he, even as he's doing something in spiritual Israel. And already the winds of strife are starting to blow again. I guess you've noticed. The winds of strife are already beginning to pick up and blow again. In the last two world wars, America has come to the rescue. She won't be able to do it this time. She will meet her end. Actually, she has already become Sodom and Gomorrah. She is already in her armies. are so weakened by, by all of this nonsense of this evil age, this Sodom thinking until they have so perverted our armies, our navy, until they have made whips out of America and got men in the, in the presidency that are not able to, stay, to take the task. It's not going to, America won't save the world. She did it in other world wars. God allowed her to raise up for a purpose, holding back and stopping those wars and bringing a, a temporary peace, but she won't be able to stop this one. She'll burn with fire. Yes. And I want you to understand is because they looked into the promised land and said, we cannot take Elijah the prophet. We cannot take restoration. Now, but you know, God says he will finish the work. He will cut it short in righteousness. Don't you know he swore he would finish it? He, pl- When he does, he pledges himself to the task. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to take you for just a few minutes. This might get too deep for some of you, and, and, but the, hold on. I'll come back, you know, and give the rest of you some, some, uh, something else. Yeah. Maybe the rest of you something to chew, some of you to chew on, and some of you to spit out, and some of you to, you know, to enjoy, and some of you to, yes. come on. I just say, swallow it. When it comes down to the word of God, if you find it even bitter, swallow it. But I want you to look at Revelation 10 and 5. And the angel which I saw stand on the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. Now, when God does this, and I want you to understand this angel was the mighty angel. Only Christ it could be. He was the messenger of the covenant. A rainbow was about his head. It's showing that he is the messenger of his own covenant. That's Revelation 10.1. Now, 10.5 says that he stands up and lifts his hand. Now, he is swearing. He is making a sworn declaration to your age, to your time, God-given great assurance. And he swear by him that liveth forever and ever. Now, the Bible said in other occasions, he can swear by none greater, so he swore by himself. Amen. And so he swore by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. Now, it isn't you throw away your wristwatch. It isn't we take the calendar down. It isn't we don't do. We take the clock off the wall. This means that There would be time no longer or no more delay. The time of holding back of the mysteries of God would now be finished. It is time to finish up the mysteries of God. Release them so they can become flesh. Now, so again, verse 7, but in the days of the voice, of the seventh angel, now he tells you when it would be that, that, that this would begin, this in-time process would be again. It would begin when a messenger comes who is the seventh angel, and when he begins to sound his trumpet, his gospel trumpet, the mysteries of God would be finished. God said, "I will finish the work." I will cut it short in righteousness. I'm going to do a short work upon the earth. Now, as we look at this, we, finish, we finalize this for, with the statement, he had declared this to his servants, uh, to, the, through, to his servants and prophets. So all the way since Genesis, God has been declaring an end time would come. <laughs> That's what that means. Ever since the beginning, the fallen man, God says, I'm going to get even with the devil. Amen. Ever since man fell, God said, I'm going to, I've got a plan of redemption. I'm going to redeem them back to where they fell from. Amen. They fell from heaven's atmosphere. I'm going to take them right back into it. They fell from Eden. I'm taking them back to Eden. They, can't, they, they, they fell from, from immortality to mortality. And we are about to come move from mortality to immortality. Yes, All right. you, yes, because why? He said, I'm going to finish the work in righteousness. Now, Brother Bannon picks up on this and he says, in recognizing your day in his message, he said, the seventh angel's message is to open the mystery of the seals, calling the 11th hour Gentile workers, remember? 11th hour What did God show us all the way back at the beginnings of the wars as the woes begun? He said, I stopped it at a peculiar time, 11th day, 11th month, 11th hour. So now the seventh angel's message to open the mystery of the seals, calling the 11th hour Gentile workers to receive the same pay that the first hour workers got. Now, he said, Jesus taught it. There were, he said, there were some people who went out in the harvest, they were hired, and when they did, of uh, early morning, they received a time, a penny, a day for the day. And when at noontime, someone else came in, went to work, and then at the 11th hour, that's the last, last hour of the day, that someone come in and receive the same kind of pay that they did at the first hour of the day, the last hour? And he said so perfectly how the first hour messengers with the word, with the gospel, with the truth, they came in at the day of Pentecost. And then there was a dark age that blocked them out and middle of the day, Luther and Wesley come in. And then there's to be an evening time message to receive the same thing that they did at the beginning. The evening time message is to restore back again, to bring back the same thing again, Hallelujah! So if you can see, the whole purpose of the 11th hour and the 11th hour workers is that we're going to get the same pay that the first hour workers did. The same Holy Ghost they had, we would have. The same joy they had, we would have. The same gifts they had, we would have. The same payment. Is somebody with me? Amen. Amen. So everything that was there in the first that they got, we get. And we have the same message today that Paul preached. Think of it. The seals opened up the fullness of the word. It restored us back to the original faith. We get the same pay, same Holy Ghost same power, same gifts that the original church had. Now, do we realize how involved God is in this work? He declares, I will finish the work. I will cut it short in righteousness. So God is, he is fully committed. He is fully committed to this work and he Will not be defeated. Amen. Amen. Right. Now, in the beginning, God made man. They were his family. Like a father looking upon his son. You know, Brother Branham would describe this himself. He said, and pictured, he said, Me and my wife would go look at our little boy, and, and she would say to him, Billy, Brother Branham, you, you know how. His, you know his forehead is high, it's like yours. up, yeah, but his eyes is large like yours. And why? He said he should look like us. He's our, the offspring of our union. And man should look like God. Because he is made in his image, certainly. Father, he looks just like you. Look at his lips and his eyes. Of course, the father's looking at his children. How sweet it was. There was to never to be a sick. Now, he's taking you back to Eden for a moment. Before the fall looking at at his children, how sweet it was, never to be sick, never to die, never a heartache, never a weary, oh, wasn't that wonderful? Mother, never get old, neither would dad, never be no gray hairs, no wrinkles in the face, all be beautiful and loving forever. That's the way God made it. Why why would God make a crippled child? Why would God make a spastic baby? Why would God? God didn't do that. Sin did it. When God made it, it was all perfect. When man got in there through Satan's anointing, because Eve heard the word to an intellectual demonic anointing. And she twisted it. Now, I want you to notice here. These people were his masterpiece, Adam and Eve. He had walled him off under protection of his word. And then his enemy came in and got them to move behind from behind the wall, talked them out of coming from behind the protection of the word, and he marred God's great masterpiece. And so sin marred the picture. But sin cannot stop the purpose of God. I don't care what has happened in your life. That sin cannot stop the purpose of God. Whatever the devil had done to the woman at the well, it could not stop the purpose of God. There was a divine appointment for her life. There is nothing the devil can do to stop God's great plan, his purpose. God will not be defeated. So then because sin came in, woman brought forth man or children, which is secondary, perverted way. God never created him out of the dust of earth with his own hand, but a woman had to bring him through sex. And then he said, what happened? Where we make our bodies from the dust of the earth, the calcium, the lum, that lumber, that potash that God had laying out is still being used. One day, the last bit of it will be used up. That's right. The lumber pile will go down, but God still makes man from the dust of the earth. You come on the earth without having any reason, only any way, any way uh, at all you had of bringing yourself here. God brought you here. Right. So then he goes on and said, if sin is martyred and God cannot be defeated, then people are coming on the earth by a perverted way, but God's lumber is still being used up. Amen. 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 He laid out your bodies when he laid out the earth. That's why I want to tell the devil today, my body was God's first. Amen. Amen. He laid out the timbers on the earth, the dust, the potash, the calcium, the whatever else. It was gathered up now in the womb of a mother and here you were born and it was built as you added dust upon dust. But it was God's dust. Satan didn't use his own dust. Because Satan can't create. And God, again, that, was, that was God's just. You were to come wrapped and moved and molded in the hands of God in perfection, but because of sin, you came a perverted way. And God still blessed it. And He said, I'll make it even holy. He said, Marriage is honorable, the bed's undefiled. But I, you know, harmongers and adulterers, I'll judge that. So he said, you know, again, um, there he said, the potash, the calcium, the stuff, he lets us eat. And and, and, till, uh, 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 and, and then you till the soil and, and by sweat of your brow, you make your living. But man, come exactly the same, just exactly God has his purpose in his mind. Now, what happens? The Holy Spirit brought me and you on this earth and made us what we are without having any choice. I didn't choose to be here. You didn't choose to be here. God chose you to be here. And yet, I was made in God's image and brought forth, and and yet, through a sinful act that God permitted to be done, not by his perfect will, but permissive will, a perverted act by a holy wedlock from mother and my father. And I come on this earth and I am what I am at my best by God's grace and without having any choice, how much more can he raise me up in the last days if I make a choice? So I want you to see, even when sin marred the picture, it didn't stop the plan of God. Amen. 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 He already knew it was going to happen. Yes, and before there was sin, there was a savior. Amen. Hallelujah. Because which is first, sin or the savior? The savior was there. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. That's why you are his first. Thank you, Jesus. God had a claim on you before the world began. So you see, Brother Branham speaks of this in the masterpiece. He said, the great sculpture, when he's seen the fall of his family, the masterpiece, he wasn't willing just to let it lay their face down in ruin. He went to work immediately. He will finish the work. He went to work immediately to build it up again. And he wasn't willing that it should perish and lay there like that all the time because he is God, and he will not be defeated. So he began to work immediately to build again unto his own image of man. And then we find that he speaks of, and I'm, I'm kind of off chart here, but I just want to bring it in. But Brother Ben talks about it as a masterpiece, as if it were like Moses, master, uh, the masterpiece of Moses that was, that was made and, and, uh, and there, well, Michelangelo had carved and worked and on this, you know, kept it veiled until it was time to uncover it. That's the way God does. He keeps it secret until the time of the unveiling. And so he would, he would work on this. But uh, as he said, like a great statue, you know, you start with the base and cutting out the base. And he said he started with Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and he showed from there, as he said, as he did it, he come from Abraham uh, faith and then uh, gra- uh, then love with Isaac and grace with, jo- with Jacob. And then he said perfection with Joseph. And he said this is the way God was planning to do, build up his masterpiece till he come back to perfection. So he would have prophets. He would have ministries. He would have great words and great wisdom and great kings and everything else and all of them are reflecting a greater to come until he finally comes to the head which was Jesus Christ, the perfection. And he unveils it to a people but only a remnant would receive it. Now, but I want you to get it. There is nothing gonna defeat God's purpose. Now, it just goes to show you even like with Sarah and Abraham. God had given a word. Sarah got too old, but not too old for God. Somebody help me preach. We can look at the circumstances, or we can look at what God said. The circumstances says it'll never happen. God's word said, this is what I'm doing. Is that right? You see, no matter how re- unreasonable it seemed, the Bible said Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Amen. And God would have killed Sarah because of her unbelief, but because she was a part of Abraham, he couldn't kill her. And he said, so would God destroy us because of our wavering and unbelief, but he can't because we're part of Christ. So God takes... And he shows, even with them, when her heart was too weak, when her milk veins dried up, her body old and wrinkled. He takes that and shows an example. It'll never get too old. It'll never be too long. You'll never delay so long. There will come a time that the delay will be over, and it won't be too late. It's going to be more of a miracle than ever. It's been 2,000 years, but I'm still gonna bring a bride out and I'm gonna turn her back young to like she was at the beginning. And she'll be exactly like the same young church that she was on the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that she can bring forth Christ because he said, again, I will finish the work in righteousness. God cannot be God and give up on his plan. It would show weakness on his part. It would show him coming up to a Kadesh Barnea and said, I can't do it. You see, he would have had to be a doubter not to finish his work. It's too hard. The people are too difficult. They're too evil. It's too evil in age. It's too bad in Laodicea. It's too wicked. Sodom and Gomorrah all around. But in the midst of that, I'm gonna finish the work and I'm gonna cut it short in righteousness. For a short work will I do on the earth. I'm gonna finish this. That's God's message to you this morning. He ain't giving up on you. Hallelujah, he ain't giving up on you. I started the work in you and I'm gonna finish that work. Don't you listen to some devil telling you you'll never make it, it ain't for you. The promises to you, to your children, to them that are far off. And to assure us, he swears by himself, pledging himself to the task. I'm gonna smooth the way. I'll facilitate, wind up the end time. To do this, he sends a son of man a prophet, and sends him out with a message. What she says in Malachi 4, 5, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, we know we can't do reincarnation. So we know it's the spirit of Christ that made Elijah the restorer he was. So he says, I'm going to send again an anointing in the last day to be upon a man before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come in. They all be Sodom and Gomorrah. Smite the earth with a curse. If I don't do this, there will not be a remnant. There won't be no flesh saved. If he had not sent Elijah, we'd be as Sodom and Gomorrah. If, If he had not sent it, there would be no remnant. But God again is determined to finish the work. Now, David pondered about man. And sometimes you wonder about yourself. Let's put up Psalms 8 and 4 to gaze upon this for a moment. Because this is something of David's pondering. As he looked and he said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visit him. He would marvel. He had said in verses before, when I considered the works of your hand, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the mighty works, and man looks so insignificant. For when I considered the heavens, the works of thy fingers, and the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, verse four now, what is man that thou art mindful of him? It looks like we're just a little speck. In God's universe, I'm talking about the earth, and that you're just a little tiny, man, minuscule of a speck. But he said, David said, "What is man that Thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that Thou visit him?" So he looks like nothing. He looks lives a life of toil and trouble. seemingly just goes back to dust and another another generation comes and the others are forgotten and david marvelled concerning the great and awesome almighty god who would regard the lowliness of man to be mindful of him or the son of man prophets that he would visit them now so god did more than though than being mindful of man and visiting a son of man, because he would visit a son of man, Moses. He'd visit a son of man, Elijah. He'd visit Isaiah. Bring him a word. Amen. He would visit him. Amen. He was mindful of us, so he would visit what? A son of man to bring a word to us. A prophet. Now this is what he did, all down to the Old Testament. But I want you to notice in the way that God did more than that of just being mindful of man and visiting a son of man, a prophet, and bringing him a word and whatever, But he did much more. This is why I don't want you to get tangled up. But listen close. God, God laid aside His godship to take upon Himself the. Cloth of humanity and came here as a man to be the Son of Man, the God prophet. That's how mindful God was. He left the heavens of heavens. Amen, because He's determined the work's going to be finished. I want you to understand God's got a purpose, He's got a plan. And so he will lay aside his own deity and his own robes of Godship to become a man and dwell in a human being. God would take on dust. Think about it. Because of you. Now, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, I want you to see his purpose. He said, for them as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. So because they were, they were mortal, he became a mortal. And he took on flesh and blood because we were trapped in this. He came down into what we were. Now I want you to see this. He said, he also himself likewise took part of the same flesh and blood that through death, through his dying, he might destroy him that hath the power of death. That is the devil. So the whole time Jesus is here, it is with a plan. I am here to destroy him that hath the power of death. That is the devil. And I will wrestle with death itself. And I will choke it and take it to hell with me. Hallelujah. And I will rise up and conquer death that has held my children bound. Because I am determined. Death took them out of the garden, but I'm coming to deal with death. So he became a man. And the, the Bible said he... It might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and to deliver them, get this, to deliver them, who through the fear of death were all their time, lifetime subject to bondage, slaves. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. He didn't do this as angels, a supernatural being, or a theophanic form. Come on, understand what's being said, because before he was in theophanic form. But now he lays aside his theophanic form and he don't come in the nature of angels, but he comes and takes on the seed of Abraham. And as a man, he fought human battles. Some of you cry about temptations and say, I'm so tempted and I'm tried and I had this thought. What do you think Jesus had? Now, before I go into that, let's just think about Isaiah seeing him coming. He says, you know, he, here he, he's coming, and he's wanting to give a sign. And he screams out, I'll give you a sign. He's under that anointing, and as he's as he speaking, the Spirit of God takes him over, and he begins to say, I'll give you a sign. You're wanting a sign. I'll give you one. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Wait a minute. Every man had ever, but always been born of sex. None of them born of a virgin. Come on, somebody. Amen. But a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Oh, the Mighty God. You know what that means? The Warrior God. God was going to come and take on human battles. Hallelujah. He would come and he would not just defeat temptation and sex and every other kind of evil things that, that would come against humanity. He would take death itself and defeat death yes. and triumph over it and rise up over it yes. with yes. a promise. I'm going to bring you all into this victory. Yes. Right. Hallelujah. So you see, God came to take on human battles, and in doing so, he offered his own blood, sweat, toils, and tears. He literally entered into human sufferings. I'll give you a quote for that. How can I overcome? Look, temptation was for him. You know that? The Bible said he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He was tempted by drinking. He was tempted by women. He was tempted by everything that could be tempted by. He was tempted by everything that we are. He was a man, and yet you couldn't have put a mark on him. Amen. So, well, Brother Tim, I was tempted. Yeah, you're tempted, just don't fall to it. Jesus was tempted. Don't let the devil tell you you're not a Christian. Jesus was the Son of God, and yet was tempted in all points like we are. Now, you see, he saw the wretchedness and the struggles of man. Put up Isaiah 59, 16. Seeing that the struggles of man, how the, the things that he was going through, and he said, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. There was nobody. You know, this is like the call in Revelation 5, who is worthy? And he looked and he saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no intercessor. And so when he found none, therefore his arm, hallelujah, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation up on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a coiled cloak. God is zealous about his work. So he put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head, garments of vengeance. Brother, this is the avenger coming down. He's gonna lay hold of sin. He'll start casting out devils. He'll start healing the sick. He'll start interrupting Satan's kingdom. He'll do it all the way down to the cross. And at the death himself, he will wrap himself around death and drag him into hell. And rise up triumphant on the third day. Triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah, and he says to you today, behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of hell. I say, what a savior. What an intercessor. And according to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. And through the islands he will repay recompense. So they shall they that fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord lifted Jesus as a standard against it. And you have that same name that you can lift today. But to do this, he had to lay aside his godship to overcome as a man Inasmuch, inasmuch that Jesus in his humanity was asked before his ascension, would it he at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts chapter one verse seven. And he said, But it's not for you to know the times of the seasons, but which the Father hath put in his own power. So he tells the times and the season, he says, the father has this in his own powers. Notice I can't tell you this. Look at Mark thirteen thirty two but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. So you see, here again, as we're looking at this, there were things Jesus in his humanity having laid aside his Godship would not know. It would be held from him certain things that he could not let them know when they asked him questions. Now this is astounding. But you got to understand, this is God in his humanity. And he is the one who has said, I can do nothing of myself, but only what I see the Father doeth. So he's saying, there are things that I don't know as a human. But the Father knows it. God knows it. But I don't know it. It hasn't been yet revealed to me. Now, so it's quite humbling to understand and difficult to wrap our minds around when we come to this age that we have now been made privy to things that Jesus as a human did not know. To some, that's a blasphemous thought. Maybe you feel like I'm on thin ice. But yet after his ascension, Jesus will visit a son of man, John the prophet, the revelator. And he shows him things that he was unable to tell him before his ascension. So in Revelation 1 and 1, it speaks of the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, Jesus So Jesus there now ascending there as it comes from God to man and now going back and taking on his Godship again comes back with full knowledge and he begins now to show unto his servants things that which must shortly come to pass and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Now listen, Brother Branham. In the revelation of Jesus Christ when he expounds the scripture. When our Lord was on earth, the disciples asked him, Master, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it is not for you to know this hour or time. And no one would know. Even the son as yet did not know. But after his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension unto glory, he received from God the future of the church. Then he returned back to bring this message to the church. And this message of his coming and the condition of his churches down to the age, he could not do it before his death, burial, and resurrection because he had not, not yet knew it. But did you notice how the Spirit reads the scripture reads here, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, Christ. How that God the Father gave the revelation to his son, Jesus Christ, and he sent his angel to John to signify these things, which was, which, uh, which was, which, which is, and which shall be, oh, it's set beautifully. Think of that. Here Jesus comes back with a message but even then when he gives it to John he can only disclose it in symbols because this secret is not to be known until he finishes the work and cuts it short in righteousness. So he will reserve to the last people the secret and the mystery of his coming. I'm trying to, I know maybe this is too deep for some of you, but you know, don't drown, please. Grab a life preserver life real quick. I'll get into more things that make it a little more easier for you. But in the moment, just grab a breath and go down, come back up and grab another. Brother Branham, if you ever watched the seals, In the sixth seal, he actually takes the the, the first six seals of Revelation and places them in Matthew chapter 24. It's a study that I don't have time for this morning. But he will place each one of them and he will read the scripture correlating with that seal. And he said, see, it's all here in Matthew 24 when Jesus is talking of this. But notice he says, uh, but when he comes to the seventh seal, he tells us that Jesus said nothing of it. Now, we all know what the seventh seal is. What is that? Revelation 8.1. Can you put that up? So when, when we come to that seventh seal, that he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour or so. There's a time where something is held a secret. That's simply what that means. For time, you say, well, a half hour. How long is that in God's time? And you figuring out, and oh, that's man trying to just understand for a short time in God's great plan. He holds something secret, and it's a mystery that will be revealed in the last day. So he reserves something specially for you, <laughs> so you could know your day and its hour. Now, watch here. He said, I want you to notice um, in the sixth seal, he said, Jesus omitted the teaching of the seventh seal. It's not here. He goes right on with parables, and John omitted the seventh seal. That's a great, to be a great thing. It's not even written. Omitted the seventh seal, both of them did. And the revelator, John said, just silence in heaven. Jesus never said a word about it. So in the, in the wonderful discourse of Matthew 24, there's a part that is kept secret that Jesus was not able to divulge or to know as a man. And that seventh seal was held back and was kept silent. Let's look at it. It's Matthew 24, 36. It's not, it's not that it's not there. It is there, but it's still in mystery form. Look what he said. But of that day and hour, knoweth no man... No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. <laughs> so this part, I can't divulge. I don't know it. So before he become a man, I want you to think of this. You see, he was still... Before he became a man, he was in the form of theophanic word. He knew all things in that form. But when he was here as a man, that was veiled to him. And he was dependent as the Son of Man upon the Father to reveal to him. So John five nineteen, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do, and what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. So now, in who is this Melchizedek, Brother Branham explains the difference between you and him as a son. He said, the difference between you and him as a son, he was at the beginning the word and a morphe body. So he, had a, he was in theophanic form before he came flesh. He came and lived in the person of Melchizedek. That was one of the evidences of his theophanic form. Because, and he said, then we never hear no more of Melchizedek because he became Jesus Christ. Melchizedek was a priest, but he became Jesus Christ. Now, you bypassed that because in that form he knew all things. And you have never been able to know that yet. But then he said as, a, as fully as a man, he had to rely on the spirit of God. Yes, so now notice here he come to take on the nature. You see what I'm trying to say? He come like you, like me. In the nature of, of the seed of Abraham. And he didn't come. Well, okay, I know what's all going to happen. And I've got all the plan laid out. And hoo, 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 I don't have no sleepless nights. And I don't have to pray. And I don't have to seek the will of the Father. He had to do it all. Because he laid aside his Godship to become a man. And yet God dwelt in him. But as a man, there would be things he didn't know. And he would, have to, he would have to pray to the father that dwelt in him to get revelation just like you do. He would have to overcome just like you do. He'd have to believe the word just like you do. Well, how do you know, Brother Tim, that how did he know he was gonna rise again? Because the scripture said so. Amen. I will not leave his soul in hell, neither will I let my Holy One see corruption. So he knew. And he looked over at Jonah and he said, I see a type here. And in this type, Jonah was in the belly of the well three days and night. And so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. But we're going to come out of it. I'm going to rise. And he saw himself in Jonah. Listen, this is what God challenged you to do. Look at Abraham. Look at the promise. Look at the woman at the well. Look at all the scripture. Come on, somebody. Amen. Look in the Bible. See what it said of you. They testify of you. They're prophesying of you. My goodness, I didn't think I was going to have enough to preach on this morning. Brother Bradham talked about when that woman come and touched the hem of his garment, he said, Jesus didn't know who did that. He wasn't faking when he said, Who's, who touched me? He wasn't playing games with your mind. I really know, but I you know. No, he didn't know. Who touched me? You see, Christ the mystery of God revealed brother Brandon said God's great mystery how it's a secret. He kept it a secret nobody knew nothing about it even the angels didn't understand it he didn't reveal it. That's the reason under our seventh mystery when the seventh seal was open there was silence Hmm. Jesus when he was on the earth they wanted to know when he would come and he said it's not even the son of man don't know when it's going to happen you see God has all this to himself. It's a secret. So God became a man and as a human, he had to experience human limitation. And he overcame by faith just like you overcome. And now it's our turn to be in this condition in human form. But unlike Jesus, we bypass our theophany. For he came from theophany to flesh, but not us. But through the fall, we bypassed that form and we came straight from thought to flesh and we're here in flesh to be tempted and tried by sin and to overcome the flesh. And God has come in our flesh. I want to repeat that. God has come in our flesh by the incarnation of the Holy Ghost. You embody in your flesh this morning the Spirit of God, yet you don't know all things. We stand firm believing even when circumstances are against us. We in our blind human condition turn to rely upon God seeking his leadership as we walk by faith and not by sight Amen. Amen. now he comes to show us what he could not show the first age the secret of his coming I want you to understand he doesn't always hold us a mystery as it comes a time he finishes the work he cuts it short So in Christ's mystery, Brother Brandon said, God's great mystery of how it's a secret. He kept it a secret. Nobody knew nothing about it. Even the angels didn't understand it. He, see, he didn't reveal it. That's the reason under our seventh mystery, when the seventh seal was opened, there was silence. Jesus, when he came on the earth, they wanted to know when he would come. He said, it's not even. The son himself don't know when it's going to happen. God has all this to himself. It's a secret. And that's the reason there was silence in heaven for the space of a half hour and seven thunders under their voices. And John was even forbidden to write it. And see, it's the coming of the Lord. And that's one thing he hasn't revealed yet of how he will come and when he will come, and it's a good thing he doesn't know, he, but he showed it and revealed it in every type that's in the Bible. So even the son himself didn't know when it was going to happen. There was things that Jesus did not know as human. But when he returned, he said, I come from being God. I'm going back to being God. I come from God. I'm going to God. I came, I, I was here in Theophanic. I left that, I put aside my robes and I took on the robe of human. And there were things that he did not know. So he comes back on the, to John on the Isle of Patmos to give them the future plan of work through the ages of his coming. And so the seventh seal was silent, holding back the mystery until the end time when he would be mindful of us Visit a son of man to show us the cycle had begun to facilitate his return. Amen. 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 So speaking of the seventh seal, Brother Brandon said, "No, notice it's the end of the church age. It's the end of the seventh seal. It's the end of the trumpets. It's the end of the vial. It even ends up on the end of the ushering in the millennium. That's on the seventh seal." It's just like firing a rocket in the air and that rocket explodes here and goes up and explodes again and puts out five stars. And Now that that's, them stars explodes and five blows five more stars from it and then one of them stars explodes and blows out five stars from it. It fades on out. And That's, the, that's what the seventh seal, it ends the time for the world. It ends the time for this. It means the time for that. It ends, time for it ends the time for this. It ends the time. Everything just ended up on the seventh seal. So what happens? What happens under that seal? A time of silence. What is that? A time of silence. Then what happens when the seal is open? The silence is broken. And the seven sealed up the silence, voices of thunder utter their voices to a son of man. Because God's mindful. Are you with me now? And the seventh seal is not just a singular event. It's the breaking of the silence and the ushering in of end time events. It's an explosion beginning with a message coming to a prophet. A visitation given to a son of man and then from that message given the church is rejected and judged, condemned to the tribulation. A bride is called out. The word takes on flesh. The flesh is changed by the word. The bride is raptured and continues on with one end time event after another, after another until the millennium is ushered in and begins. And this all begins with the breaking of the silence and God has sent a message in this day to break the silence of his coming to show you he's going to finish the work because he swore by himself. And when he swears by himself, he pledges himself to the task. I'm not dependent on you to do it. I'm going to do this. I will finish the work. I will cut it short. Amen. I'm going to bring a pride out. Ah, we'll have a rapture. Yes, hallelujah. 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 So the end has not begun. And God says, I'll cut it short in righteousness. I'll finish the work. The times and seasons held only by God that Jesus could know as a man. Now he lets us in on the season of his coming. And he, because once he ascended, And went back to being God again. Now God being mindful of man sought out a son of man. A prophet to reveal the end time plan to. So that you could know. Now we're here in the cycle of the ending of time. Where a whirlwind of of events is taking place. We are promised more of the supernatural, more of the Holy Ghost than any other age for this great crescendo. I think you went to sleep on me. Come up from air. Come up from air. Take a deep breath. I want you to get it. We are now in the cycle of the ending of time, where a whirlwind of events take place. And we're promised more of the supernatural and more of the Holy Ghost than any other age for this crescendo. Now... Brother Banham talked about this in Junction of Time. He said when it when when comes down to the Junction of Time, just before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he sent angels to the earth that mingled themselves among men. And before the end time, God promised he would send angels. And we're seeing them. They are coming with the messages of the Almighty God. And they did, And they have. And they're here. And I want you to notice... That when Joshua goes, when he finally does get to go after the 40 years and he goes to enter in and he's wondering, how am I going to take this walled city that they can race chariots around? That's how thick the walls are. How am I going to break through? What is their weakness? What will be the best plan of attack? Well, of course, everybody knows the plan of attack is the gates or that's the weakest point. Boy, you know, big, big, wide walls, but your gates are the weakest point. You know, so you're thinking, I'll go and we'll batter the gates. And yet it's at the gates that all the defense comes. And all this rain down from the walls, shooting down and killing. There's going to be a massive slaughter just to get the gates. How are we going to do this? And Joshua is looking at the land And he's wondering even, how am I going to make warriors out of former slaves? And God appears to him, and he says, as he sees this man standing over, you know, there toward him, and and he's holding in his hand a sword, and and he, 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 he recognizes it, it looks like a threat to him, and he says, are you for us or against us? And he answers back and said, no, neither. I, you know, I'm not for you, I'm not against you. This is not your battle. This is my war. This is my battle, and I have come to take charge. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is what God says. He says, I'm not on your side. You, you, you are on my side. And if you're on my side, then you're on the winning side. And I have come to take charge of this battle. Yes. Hallelujah. In the first exodus, there the Lord himself came down. Did you notice that? The Lord himself came down. Amen. It was none other than the mighty Jehovah. I am that I am. That's my name. Not I was, but I was. Oh, but I am that I am. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm here in a pillar of fire. I am here as the angel of the present. I am here to lead you out of Egypt. Amen. I've got a message to the devil. Let my people go. Hallelujah. You know who it is? This is his battle. This is his message. This is his doings. This is his rapture. Amen. amen. Come on. He sent us his prophet. You are his people. Come on, somebody. Amen. Who is it? The Lord of hosts. Romans 9, 27 Isaiah cried concerning Israel, the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because it's short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of, the, of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we have been as Sodom and been made like in the Gomorrah. So just as he saved a remnant, Of the number of Israel, all Israel is not Israel, just the elect. And he promises the same for spiritual Israel, the church, though there are 3.5 billion Christians in the world, God has a remnant that will be raptured. Amen. For he will finish the work, cut it short in righteousness. So he is promised to bring a people, a bride to maturity. There is an invisible union. He will cut it short in righteousness. For a short work will the Lord make them on the earth. And I want to say, we are in it. We are in it. We're a part of it. The move is on for the bride. That's, that's, saith the Lord. Amen. I will restore, saith the Lord. The bride tree will bring forth the harvest of fruits. Every gift of the Spirit is ours. Every fruit of the Spirit is ours. The entire land is ours. Yes. The people of the book have returned to the land of the book. Now, don't get under some illusion that everybody has just all got to come together. All the church is going to come together, you know, in order for the bride to have revival. So everybody's going to be all in agreement. and everybody That won't happen to the millennium. I'm sorry, all Israel is not Israel. All that say they're bride aren't bride. And you know, right in the midst of 12, there's a, a Judas. Amen. In the twins, of uh, in the beginning, there was a Cain. No matter where it, where it is, there's always going to be, you're not going to get everybody on board. Everybody ain't going to come together and believe. Hello, Somebody. Amen. The bride's revival, though, I want to say, has already brought believers from all denominations together. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Right here in this building this morning is former Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Catholic. They're all here today in one mind, and one accord. Yes, for what? A rapture. Yes, hallelujah. hallelujah. For a rapture. We have been gathered as Israel from the nations to, uh, as Israel was from the, from the nations to the land of Israel, which was a barren, but now a fruitful branch. And we have been gathered from the denominations back to the homeland of the word. And the church that was barren is seeing life. Yes, hallelujah. The desert and forgotten promises bloom again. Hallelujah. Barren waste of God's promise that lay in waste are now becoming fruitful. The revival is on. I want to say to you, the revival is on. And like Joshua and Caleb of old, the land is open before us, and every promise is ours. Though a host of hell sit upon it, we can prevail. Isaiah said, "Except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we'd have been as Sodom and Gomorrah." Now, a lot of people are sitting there thinking, "Lord of Sabbath." No, that's not what he said. He said, "Lord of Sabaoth," and that's a whole different meaning. Sabbath is a day of rest. Sabbath is the seventh day. But this is not. Notice the spelling is not Sabbath. Is Sabaoth? Notice what it means. It means the Lord of hosts. The Lord of angel armies. The Lord of angelic beings. The Lord of theophanics. The Lord of, of earthly armies. He got saints on the earth. Somebody help me preach. Amen. So he is the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of armies. Amen. When you read it in the Bible, it says the Lord of hosts. It means the Lord of armies. Thank you, Jesus. It's a profound name that means almighty, sovereign, self-existent God over all multitudes. He is Lord of Sabaoth over all the heavens, and they're all the stars in order. He is lord over all the angelic host. He is lord over all. He is lord over He is lord over the uh, of, of the saints. Look at this for a moment. The armies of the Lord, uh, the armies of of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. It includes the earthly armies of Israel of old as well as those in the heavens. And if each of us have an angel assigned to us at birth, then there is an earthly army of believers and a heavenly army of angels. Hallelujah. There is as many angels in this building as there are people. There is a seen, a seen host, and there is an unseen host. And they don't just come, they encamp about those that fear him. Hallelujah. Now, when Israel studied Kadesh, shouldn't they have known the God of the impossible was with them? Hadn't he opened the Red Sea? Hadn't he brought manna out of heaven? Hadn't he brought water from a rock? Shouldn't we know from our battles past? I'm talking about you now. Shouldn't you remember? Amen. You know, shouldn't we even remember in the 40s and the 50s of that great healing revival? We've read of them. We've slobbered over them. We've slattered over them. I mean, it's wonderful to go back and listen and hear how God moved don't you remember how he was there to open the seals by revelation to seven mighty angels come from another dimension and stepped into this dimension and carried a prophet into a, a, an atmosphere where the word of God was revealed? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, things that have been kept secret so that you would know them. Mysteries withheld that other ages didn't get to know. But God said, I'm gonna let you in on the secret. I'm gonna give you the end time plan. I'm gonna show you where I brought the church. I'm gonna let you know what age they're living in. No other age knew what age they were living in, but God has made sure you know your day in this message. The Bible said in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song to the Lord and spake, saying, I was singing to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of War and the Lord is his name. I want you to know the one leading this battle is the Lord of hosts. Amen. The Lord is Sabius. Amen. He is a man of war. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Don't you remember how he said to those slave masters, those armies of hell? you'll see them no more. They did see them, but not as live men, but as dead men floating on a sea. Amen. Those taskmasters of drugs and alcohol and tobacco and sex and porn have no more power to enslave you. Right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've seen his miracles. Come on. Yes, yes. You couldn't do that. No, that's right. But the Lord of hosts, yes, amen, yes. the Lord of Sabaoth, yes. he yes. took up your battle. He defeated those sex sins He defeated that porn He defeated, come on somebody He defeated those drugs That alcohol, you didn't do that on your own He did it He defeated the false doctrine He defeated the curse of Rome He took off the bondage And the slave belt off of your life So you can go free Because he is Lord of Samuel He is the Lord of Hosts Hallelujah, Lord Jehovah, the mighty man and warrior. Lord Jehovah is his name. Psalms 28 and 4 said, who is the king of glory? The Lord mighty, strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Hallelujah, that's what Brother Branham could say. You know, when when he was faced by a demon there that threatened to to throw him out into the congregation and he said, you've never seen the Lord in battle. Hallelujah. It didn't need a human. Amen. It was the Lord in battle. Oh, it says in Psalms 45 and 3: Gird, thy sword upon thy thigh, O most holy, and with glory with thy glory and majesty. Amen. Psalms 35 and 1. I like this one. This I have been I have been reading this one over and again. Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me and say to my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that fire buys my hurt. And let them be as the chap before the wind. And let the angel of the Lord chase them. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, is right. Let the angel of God get on their trail. Let him chase him right out of your life. Chase him right out of this building. Chase him right out of your mind. Hallelujah. You let the angel of the Lord chase him. I want you to know he is the Lord of heaven's angels, and he's able to dispatch angels on your on your behalf this morning. Verse six says, "Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them." Yes. What is it? It's God taking on your battles. I want you to know you're not in this alone. You're not by yourself in this. The Lord of heaven's armies. The Lord who can dispatch angels. Even Jesus knew it. He said, I could dispatch right now uh, 80,000 angels, legions, 12 legions of angels, 80,000 angels to come. All I needed was one, but I can dispatch 80,000. He's still that same God this morning that would dispatch angels on your behalf. Let the angel of God chase him. Hallelujah. Revelation 19 says, and I saw heavens open. Behold, a white horse and him that sat on it was faithful and true. And in righteousness, he did judge and make war. Now, we know this speaks of the millennial coming, where he's coming back with the saints with him. But I just say to you today, you know, this is his nature. He's faithful and true. And in righteousness, he did judge and make war. So I say today, let him come. Let him come into this service. Let him come into your life riding on the word of his power. Let the sword of his mouth devour the enemy. Because nothing, Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon. Somebody help me preach now. No weapon that's formed against thee shall prosper. I don't care what the devil's tried to do. Come on, somebody. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, saith the Lord. Amen. Amen. We have been seen as an army coming. We have been told we are an invincible army. We are not going to be. We already are an invincible army. Hallelujah. In Joel's Army chapter one of Joel, verse seven, they shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall they thrust one another. They shall walk every man, every one in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb upon the houses. They shall enter in the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them, and the heavens shall tremble. The earth sun and moon shall dark, and the stars withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army for the camp is very great for he is strong that executeth his word for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible and who can abide it? Let me tell you this is the army of the Lord taking their possession going right into every habitation and every window every place and saying get out devil get out you enemy get out you not have a part in our lives Amen. the voice of or his word goes before his army. He is strong, and his word goes into action, slaying his enemy. The first time this was spoken in the Bible, might be interesting for you to know, was of this warrior God, the Lord of Sabaoth, translated in our English as Lord of Hosts. The Lord of Sabaoth was first mentioned in the book of Samuel. By a barren and heartbroken woman making a covenant with the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. She called on the Lord of the ruler of heaven's army of angels as she called out for him to hear her prayer and give her a child. Listen, if God would do that in order to bring forth a prophet to the land of Israel, is somebody with me? If he would do that in that day for a barren woman, what will he do for the church who's calling on the Lord of hosts to bring back Jesus to the earth? It's time for deliverance. I don't know where you're at, but I know where I'm at. I know it's the hour of deliverance. She called and cried out to him to hear her prayer and give her a child. I say, God, hear our prayer. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. She called on the Lord of hosts to win a war that she couldn't win on her own. You see, Hannah had an antagonist who was always vexing her, accusing her, deriding her, ridiculing her. Heaven's army came to her rescue and gave her a son and gave Israel a prophet. Is that right? Yes. Amen. Oh, I tell you, barren woman, today rejoice. Oh, yeah. Barren soul, I prayed for you when I was in Israel, standing at Shiloh where, where Sarah where uh, where Hannah prayed. The Lord of hosts is on your side. Yeah. The barren church, although seemingly hopeless, haven't believed for the coming of the Son for 2,000 years, there is now a refreshing coming from the presence of the Lord and a wind of change is happening. Hallelujah. Amen. The Bible said in Acts 3, 19, repent ye therefore. Here's how to prepare for it. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins might be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution. What times are we in? Times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. It's been spoken again. The second time it was there was when David met Goliath. David, he, he boldly proclaimed, you come to me with a sword and with a spear, a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, who you have defied, And a boy's sling and a simple stone became a mighty weapon as an angel got a hold of his arm. Hallelujah. Because there was more than David there. Come on, somebody. There was a heavenly host there. And an angel got a hold of his arm and took and directed a stone and brought down a mighty Goliath. Hallelujah, I want you to know that's exactly what you have today. The Lord is on your side. The angels of heaven are here to persecute your enemy, to drive them out before you because he's Lord of hosts. He let you know it wasn't going to be someone else win the battle. He told he, the Lord of, of heaven's armies declared he alone He alone wins our battles and he told Zerubbabel when he was trying to restore the temple. Somebody with me? We're right here in the day of restoration. Building up the temple of the Lord. Come on. Amen. And right there he said, he said it's going to be not by might nor by man's power, but by my spirit saith the Lord of hosts. Throughout the scripture. We find the Lord of hosts is always our present defender. Amen. He is sovereign, the holy God over all the universe. He's the one that said, I'm going to finish this work. He loves us. He moves our mountains on our behalf. He fights our battles. He wins our wars. He's the refuge we can run to in the time of need. Amen. He is Jehovah Sabios. Amen. There's nothing he cannot do. Amen. There is nothing he does not know. There is no, no heart he can't heal. There is no enemy he cannot defeat. There is nothing he cannot control. There is no mouth he cannot shut. Amen, wow. he, there is no enemy he cannot defeat. There is no miracle he cannot perform. Amen, he longs to work on our lives and on our behalf as the Lord of hosts. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. I say to you this morning, you're in the army, fight. Yes. But don't fight your battles on your own. Call on the Lord of hosts to do only what he can do. And I'll tell you what he will do. He will make walls to fall down while you shout. (laughs) So you can take possession of the word of promise. The Lord of hosts is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a name that is above all names. He is a fortified tower which I can find safety and security. When I'm troubled, I can find peace in the Lord of hosts. When I'm weak, I can find strength in his mighty presence. When I'm overwhelmed, I can rest under the shelter of his wings of protection. When I feel surrounded by pressures from every side, I can find stability knowing he's on my side and I'm on his. Amen. He is my ever-present help in the time of trouble. When it seems like my world is crumbling around me and I'm thrown around by the storms of life, he says, fear not, I am with you. When I'm weak, he is my strength. When I'm vulnerable, he's my sanctuary. When I cry for help, he will answer me. He will never, ever leave me. He is the Prince of Peace. He breathed on disciples, he gave them peace. He's breathed life into me, and he is my peace. Thus, I can have peace and be still and know that he is God. He is Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of armies. It's Jehovah. We're under his protection who maintains his cause of war. We will fight. I want you to say this as part of his army. We will fight because he fights. It's really not our war, it's his war. We must fight against a Laodicean spirit that would make us lukewarm, that would make us cold and powerless. I know that, I mean, I, I know there are many that don't think it's worth it to fight. You'll sit down like a turtle and pull yourself back in in a, in a shell and refuse to get out of your shell and raise your hands and worship God and give him praise. You'd rather stay in your negative condition. But I want you to know we must fight against lukewarmness. We must fight against the blindness of this age. As I said at the beginning 2,000 years ago in the last days of the Jewish dispensation, it became so dark till they crucified their Messiah. Right. Paul said had they had, had they had known it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Right. And in this time, because of the present darkness, many crucified the word of life. Yes, and it don't stop because it's a message label. There's Christ is being crucified in many message churches. The word denied entrance. The spirit unwanted. Before now, the cycle of revival and death has never failed. But I want to tell you today, it's not all lost. Without breaking the cycle of spiritual death, we will never break the cycle of physical death. Right now, spiritual death is our greatest concern. Yes, sir. Right. Amen. It's, more con- it's a more greater concern than physical death. Spiritual death. The bottomless pit is open. I'm telling you what we're up against. We're not playing games. We don't have the binders on. We're not saying there's not giants in the land. We're saying they're bred for us. Somebody with me? Amen. But let's just talk about it for a minute. The bottomless pit of hell is now open and demons are streaming loose everywhere and the smoke of hell's great furnace has gone into every crack and crevice of humanity. It's definitely in our government. You can say amen to that. Amen. And when we get a Republican there, it'll be a hey, definitely in our government. It's in our society. It's in our communities, it's in our homes, it's in our families, it's in our churches. Amen. And only the token can stop the death angel. Amen. We cannot sit and just run the ashes of past revivals through our fingers reminiscent of what God used to do but the word of the word we have received must be used to make the fire of God burn higher. It must not be used as a wet blanket to put it out. It never was intended for that. It was intended to judge the error and to build up the true. What the church had in Pentecost is her inalienable right. Originally, she had the pure word of God. She had the power of the Spirit manifested in diverse signs and wonders and gifts of the Spirit. And that is our rights. That is our land. That's the homeland of the Bible. Bear with me just a few more minutes. We have to fight against false riches. Our true riches is not in what the world calls success. A nice building, numbers of those who follow our ministry, our renowned ministry of great notoriety, that's not true riches. True riches is the power of God with the moving of the Spirit. True riches is altars filled with seekers who get filled with the Spirit true wealth of the of evening light tabernacle is young people on fire for God that's our true wealth true wealth is healthy family and wholesome marriages good homes where the word of God reigns I want you to understand he is our wealth he is Jehovah Sabaoth we are the army that he is Lord over with him as our leader We are an invincible army. The battle is the Lord, yet we are His hands and His feet, and our tongue holds the sword. His sword is the word of His mouth, and we will use it because it is in our heart and it must be in our mouth to speak against the enemy. We will fight. We will fight the good fight of faith. Amen. When it comes down, you know, I'm going to say like those before me, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. Amen. We have seen it. We have been seen already in the vision. Listen, let me tell you, if Brother Branham had a vision of you, You would rejoice. You're going to get that desire that was in your heart. He had a vision. And that vision, you know, it never fails. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. We have been seen in the vision. We have been seen marching in step to the battle song of onward Christian soldiers. We have passed the review stand. We are dressed in the garment of the word. We have our war clothes on. Hallelujah! In the vision we were seen stepping higher and higher until we left this realm and went into heavenly realms. We have been seen in the rapture. Our feet is shod with the gospel of peace. There are no deals we're making with the devil. There is no peace short of victory. Our deliverance is to be total and complete. Our aim is to wage war and to prevail against the gates of hell. Amen. This we will do with all our might and with all our strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous enemy. That is our policy. You ask what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of terror. Victory, how long and hard the road may be. Victory is our aim. Do you feel that way? Amen. Said so Brother Tim, let's just talk peace. There will never be peace. Armistead, are you kidding? An agreement with a, with a, to stop fighting? We'll make no deals with the devil amen how many feels that way this morning I am making no deals with the devil lay down our arms never take off our armor no Amen. not as long as there's one predestinated seed that languishes in sin for the baptism of the Holy Ghost we will fight through the gates of hell until we prevail where the Holy Ghost can fill them hallelujah peace Never! There will never, there will always be war against Satan's kingdom as long as one child of God remains in slavery to sin. I pledge and to fight until complete victory and until these rags of humanity are dropped to seize the everlasting prize. Peace? Never! Not with the devil. Never. There will be war and there will be no peace. Let Satan and the gates of hell hear me. There will not be peace until every dead bone of the bride of Christ is released from the grip of the grave and rises to meet our Lord. Hallelujah. We will fight with growing confidence. And growing strength against the prince of the power of the air. We will claim and possess superior air power. For we have heaven's atmosphere for our souls. We will be, have superior air power in our church. You don't like it? Get out. But we're going to have superior air power in our church, and it will be filled with heaven's atmosphere. Hallelujah. We will shout because we are victorious. We will dance before victory, and we will dance after victory. We will dance because the ark of the Lord, the word, has been restored. All others have tried before and tried to bring it on a denominational ox cart, but the word has been brought on the shoulder of the Levites, the ministry, and restored to its rightful position. The rightful position in our hearts. Preeminence. We give it preeminence and not doubts. We will have heaven's atmosphere in our marriages for our marriages will reflect heaven's atmosphere of God's love for his bride. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, against spirits of wickedness or anything that would resist our position in the heavenlies. We will fight until we rule the air and we will rise to meet Jesus there because it's the right atmosphere is where we're going to meet him. We will fight for divine healing until every demon of sickness is under our feet until death is absolutely chased out of our bodies. We will see healing so complete. Is somebody with me yet? Amen, I'm talking about the challenge that we are in this age. We will see healing so complete until the gray hairs of death will change to the beauty of youth. We will fight until the stooped shoulders and aged bodies pulled down by gravity toward the grave, straighten up and with youthful steps climb heaven's airways to meet our Lord there. We will defend our position In Christ, whatever the cost may be. But more than that, we will possess, not just defend, but we will possess the gates of our enemies. For we are the seed of Abraham who possessed the enemy's gates. Years ago in World War II, there was a nation... That was languishing in the throes of war. It was England. They had basically a traitor for a prime minister, Chamberlain. I think it was. But nevertheless, he, he, you know, they, they, you know, you know, they had been fighting a war against Nazi Germany. And there with, with this, you know, Churchill came and was, was elected as prime minister over England, and right as France had just capitulated, which was one of their allies. And now they're even weaker, and now they feel all alone. And they're facing this great enemy by themselves. And Churchill stood up with, uh, and inspired England with these words. He said, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the street. We will fight in the hills. We shall we'll never surrender. Amen. But I want you to know those words that encouraged the nation at that time. And America then would come to their aid and They would join the allied forces and and, and messages would go out and there would be the French resistance and and they would begin to fight the Nazis and finally overthrow them. But I want you to know in this war, Churchill is not our leader. Our leader is the Lord of hosts and he will prevail because he has never lost a battle. The word of God that spoke the world into existence has already spoke our enemy out of existence. And it's in the process of being done now. The casting down of Satan has begun. Hallelujah. And it's happening as a bride ascends. And as she ascends... Satan is cast down. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And I'm looking on the face of men and women who will face death itself and cheat it and be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye because the Lord of hosts hath declared it. Hallelujah. And if you want to know about this one that clads himself with vengeance, he is the kinsman avenger. And he's been taking account of what Satan has been doing to you. And I'm going to close with this scripture, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 4, so that we ourselves glory or boast about you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. You're battling, you're toiling, you're giving sweat and blood and tears. But he said, sin, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are trouble, I just want you to rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall become, come to be glorified in his saints. And to be admired in all them that believe. Because we believe the same message that Paul preached. And here we are. He's the Lord mighty in battle. He's the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord who's bringing vengeance. Your enemy's not going to get by with nothing. He had made you to be more than conquerors that the musician comes. Oh, he said in Deuteronomy 32, 39, now see that I, even I, am he. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is neither, nor is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven. Remember, he swore by himself. And say, as I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemies. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and for his people. Let's stay, stand together. The day of vengeance has already begun. He's taken the book of inheritance in his hand. He's claiming a bride. The next, he claims, will be the dead in Christ, cheating death out of his victory, and call his bride to meet him in the air. Aren't you glad you're part of God's great plan? And, uh, and if it wasn't him, we'd be as Sodom and Gomorrah. But he has left a remnant. You, 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 you. He's chosen a people. And he's here like he was with mighty Joshua. I'm the captain. And if I wet my glittering sword, know I'm going to bring vengeance. If I took a sword and put it into a prophet's hand, know this, I'm equipping a people in this end time to finish the war. For he will finish the work. He will cut it short in righteousness. If you laid down your sword, pick it up. If you just been using it for pretty decoration, get it out. It don't belong in the scabbard. Get some blood on it. Your sword was meant to cut. Chase your enemy. Destroy your enemy before he destroys you but do it remember, and you're not alone there's a host of angel armies on your side and he said I'll never leave you or forsake you I'll not forget you you're not this in this by yourself he's for you and if God be for you who can be against you yea in all these things you are more than conquerors He's the Lord of hosts. God bless you. Go forth in his name now.
0: You unravel me with a melody, you surround me.